Hello, everyone, and welcome to the season finale of the History of Forgotten Lands podcast. Today, we'll be talking about the Kingdom of Norway as it existed in 1814. Since 1524, the kingdoms of Denmark and Norway had been in personal union with one another. A personal union is when one monarch rules two or more legally separate kingdoms, and that's exactly what was going on here. However, just because Denmark and Norway were legally separate does not mean that they were equals under this personal union, even though they hypothetically should be. As a more populous and wealthy country attached to the European mainland, Denmark had been the senior partner in this dual kingdom for centuries. Between the 1520s and the 1810s that we're talking about today, there's almost 300 years of complicated Northern European political and military history that I could talk about, but I won't. That's the stuff of college courses, not podcasts. Instead, we're going to fast forward to 1807, about halfway through the Napoleonic Wars. Due to its long-standing rivalry with Britain, Denmark-Norway found itself allied with France, who also had a long-standing rivalry with Britain. Unfortunately for the Dano-Norwegians, Britain was packing some pretty serious heat when it came to their navy. Within a year of hostilities breaking out between the two, or I guess three, kingdoms, Britain had completely blockaded the ports of Norway, cutting the country off not only from the world, but also from their king who was sitting over in Denmark as he usually did. Now that the Norwegians were literally on their own, things started to heat up among the general population. From their perspective, a foreign Danish king had gotten them wrapped up in a war he couldn't win, and now their ports were blocked off by a hostile power, leading to economic degradation and famine across the Norwegian countryside. Doesn't really seem fair, does it? Well, it was about to get way less fair, because the Napoleonic Wars were a whole lot bigger than just Denmark, Norway, Britain, and France. And I do mean a lot bigger. No less than 30 different countries were at war with one another in this conflict, making it truly one of the first world wars. Unfortunately for Norway, one of these countries was Sweden, their neighbors to the east. On April 1st of 1808, Sweden pulled a little April Fool's fake-out on the Norwegians by invading from the north with a force of 2,000 men before the hostile terrain forced them to retreat without a fight. The prank was that another 200 men had crossed the border just south of this larger invasion force and begun looting Norwegian townships pretty aggressively. Eventually, a much larger force of Norwegians chased these pillaging Swedes back across the border, but things were now past the point of no return. Furious about this incursion, the Norwegian force that had chased the raiders back across the border crossed the border themselves and began their own series of vengeful raids. As you can imagine, this prompted even further back-and-forth attacks across the Norway-Sweden border, until a full-scale war broke out between the two kingdoms that would eventually involve 36,000 Norwegians and 23,000 Swedes. These kingdoms were old arrivals, so there was plenty to fight about. In the end, this war was doomed to fail on both sides. Sweden's aim was to conquer the whole of Norway, which just wasn't feasible given the numbers at play and the ever-looming presence of Napoleon's seemingly invincible army just one British blockade away. 
Meanwhile, Norway's goal was to reconquer chunks of territory that it had lost to Sweden in historical wars, which also wasn't feasible given the growing famine in their country as a result of the British blockade and the fact that they had no support from the outside world. So, on December 10th of 1809, the two sides came together and agreed to a status quo antebellum peace, meaning everything would just go back to the way it was before. I'm sure it was worth it somehow. Now that peace has been restored, kind of, let's take a look at things back home in Norway. They were still ruled by a foreign king who had gotten them cut off from not only himself, but the entire outside world, in a war he couldn't win. There was still famine as a result of this. But despite all of that, Norway had just repelled a Swedish invasion all by its lonesome. This was pushing more and more Norwegians to the conclusion that Norway really should strike it out on their own. They sure seemed capable enough, after all. But that's just foreshadowing. For now, Europe was still at war with itself, but things had begun to take a turn for the worse for Napoleon. The United Kingdom, Russia, Prussia, and now Sweden had formalized their alliance against his empire and had begun moving in quickly on France proper. It was the Swedes who led the charge in North Germany, ridding the countryside of French forces during their bid to put the fear of God into Napoleon. Whether or not Napoleon was afraid is a story for another time, but I'll tell you who was afraid. King Frederick VI of Denmark and Norway. Swedish troops now had pretty firm control over northern Germany, and if you're looking at a map of Europe right now, you can see that attached to northern Germany is Denmark. With Sweden actively at war with the Danes, who were French allies, the threat to the Danish heartland was now very real. While Frederick's capital of Copenhagen is on an island detached from the European mainland, the overwhelming majority of Denmark is attached directly to Germany in what's called the Jutland Peninsula. Losing this was not an option for Frederick, so he was forced to come to terms with the Swedes in January of 1814 by signing the Treaty of Kiel. Now, all things considered, this was actually a pretty fair treaty between the Danes and the Swedes. Don't get me wrong, Frederick was certainly getting the short end of the stick, but at least he was getting an end at all. Under the terms of the treaty, Sweden was to cede Swedish Pomerania, the modern-day northeast German coastline, to the Danes. And in return, all Frederick had to do was give Sweden Norway. Now it's high time I introduced you to one of the main characters in our story today. Christian Frederick, not to be confused with King Frederick, was the viceroy of Norway, as well as King Frederick's cousin and heir. Christian Frederick, who we'll be calling Christian from here on, received news of the treaty ten days after it had been signed, which was pretty fast for the era. He was instructed by his cousin to ensure all Norwegian forts were handed over to the Swedes and then returned to the king's court in Denmark. There was one thing, though. Christian didn't want to. The way he saw it, his cousin had no legal authority to give away Christian's inheritance. His whole life, he had been acknowledged and prepared to become king of Denmark and Norway, not just king of Denmark. Thus, Christian began a sort of campaigning tour across Norway, where he met with leading Norwegians up and down the countryside, 
gauging their willingness to stand by him should he choose to fight the Swedes in hopes of retaining Norway. Luckily for him, it seemed everywhere he went, he met with people more than willing to lay it all on the line. It wasn't until February 2nd of 1814 that the Norwegian populace found out their country had been ceded to the Swedes, and wouldn't you know it, a lot of people were furious with this news. And I mean real mad. Sweden was the age-old enemy of Norway. They had just fought a war to keep the Swedes out, and now some Dane just gives them away like that? Not a chance. It was time for insurrection. Talk of fighting against the Swedes was now widespread and in the open, not just behind the closed doors of Christian's political campaign. This was obviously concerning to the Swedish, who now threatened to send in an army in order to keep the peace, but in reality they were too busy fighting Napoleon to take any real action. And so the independence movement in Norway continued to spread. Christian now met with some of the most powerful men in the country to determine which way they should take this movement. In the end, it was decided that they should lead the Norwegians on a path of self-determination, with Christian as the regent of Norway until the Norwegians themselves could more safely determine who ought to rule them. So, on February 19th, Christian announced to his country that he was now regent, and that all needed to swear an oath of loyalty to the independence of Norway. This proclamation was met with more threats from the Swedish, who saw it as a violation of the Treaty of Kiel, but still very little real action was taken against Norway. The coalition may have been winning the war against Napoleon on the continent, but they hadn't yet won the war, and Napoleon was far too formidable a foe to ignore even partially. On February 25th, the day after these threats were officially dismissed by Christian, the people of Norway's capital city, Christiania, which is now Oslo, made their oaths of allegiance to the Norwegian movement, marking the country's effective Independence Day. Make no mistake, though, this support was far from unanimous. A sizable chunk of the population, including many powerful nobles, believed that Christian did not believe in self-determination for Norway at all and that instead he simply planned on returning it to the Danes. It was also around this time that the foreign powers really started to move against the Norwegians. The British, who had initially lifted their blockade following the Treaty of Kiel, now reimposed it and promised the Swedish that they would never accept Norwegian claims of sovereignty. On top of that, the Swedes began strong-arming the Danish into openly opposing Christian's movement, which they did since the alternative was being conquered outright. The Swedes also began packing as many troops as they could onto the Norwegian border, making the threat of another invasion very real. Christian's troubles at home were also not lessening. It was discovered that a number of naval officers were prepared to take the ships under their command and sail to Denmark as King Frederick had ordered. These men were promptly arrested and their ships confiscated, but this demonstrates the clear ideological divide among the Norwegian people. Nevertheless, it was time for things to get more official in Norway. On April 10th, a constitutional convention convened at the town of Eidsvall. Everyone at this convention agreed that independence was the most logical goal for them to pursue, but there were some disagreements as to what this independence would look like. For most, Norway should first solidify itself as a freestanding nation 
before continuing talks about its future with Denmark, but the minority felt that independence would be better achieved by becoming the junior partner in a union with Sweden. After all, the Danes had taken priority over the Norwegians for centuries in the old union, so why should they go back? At their meeting on April 16th, this issue was put to a vote, and the majority won out, shocker, therefore deciding that Norway was to become an independent monarchy first and foremost. Thus, they began preparing their own constitution, centered around the concept of self-determination for the Norwegian nation. This constitution seems to have been set up in a particularly anti-Swedish, pro-Danish way, too. For one, only Lutherans would be permitted to hold the Norwegian crown, thereby barring the Catholic Swedes from the throne. But, the King of Norway would be allowed to hold the crown of another nation if two-thirds of the legislature allowed it. Another nation like Denmark, perhaps. After all, Christian was still the legal heir to his cousin Frederick. After more than a month of debates, threats, and votes, the Constitutional Assembly finalized their constitution on May 17, 1814, which officially saw Christian elected as Christian Frederick, King of Norway, and set the date for Constitution Day, a holiday that's still celebrated in the country today. Following these celebrations, Christian's government scrambled to find any sort of international recognition, mostly from Britain, but failed to do so at every turn. Most of Europe was at least nominally allied with Sweden, so no one would offer up such a direct betrayal of that alliance. In fact, those powers allied against Napoleon were openly willing to help the Swedish push its agenda over Norway. In late June, delegates from Sweden, Russia, Prussia, Austria, and Britain all arrived in Christiania, where they delivered unto Christian an ultimatum. Comply with the terms of the Treaty of Kiel, or you will face war not only with Sweden, but the rest of the coalition as well. In the face of these threats, Christian attempted to find a middle road, but all of his offers were rejected by the coalition, though they promised to mention them to Bernadotte the regent of Sweden, upon their return. On July 22nd, they did just that, to which Bernadotte responded in fury, restating his threat of war and then acting on it. By July 27th, the Swedish navy had taken control of the Norwegian port of Fehler, officially kicking off the Swedish-Norwegian War. The bulk of the Norwegian army was situated at Rakestad, not far north of Fehler itself. Aware of this fact, Bernadotte initiated a pincer move, with one Swedish army crossing the border to the east of Rakstad and another larger force sailing north from Hvaler into the heart of Norway, sandwiching Rakstad between two enemy forces. On August 2nd, the two forces met for the first time, with 2,500 Norwegian defenders successfully repelling a smaller force of Swedish invaders. Three days later, another Norwegian force beat the Swedes, largely thanks to the fact that they outnumbered the invader more than three to one. Following these victories, the Norwegian army withdrew over the Glamma River, an easily defensible position. Here, their force of 2,000 men was attacked by a larger Swedish contingent of 3,000, and although the battle ended in a stalemate, the Norwegians were able to retreat overnight without any opposition. This may not sound like a good thing, 
but it did deny the Swedish the absolute victory and unconditional surrender that they were looking for. Unfortunately, winning these battles did not mean that Norway was destined to win the war. On August 14th, the Swedish outflanked Christian's army at Kjellberg Bridge, leaving the path to the capital wide open to the invaders. This was far from surprising. Norway was in a pretty bad spot from the get-go. The British still had a blockade upon their ports, the Swedish had a larger army in all, plus inflation and famine were still taking their toll upon the country. Thus, the two parties came to a ceasefire, and the final terms were laid out to end the war. Surprisingly, Bernadotte agreed to accept Norway's constitution, with only minor edits, but this was with the caveat that Norway was to join personal union with Sweden, and Christian had to abdicate his throne. Presented with really no choice, Christian did just that on August 14th, the same day that his capital was exposed to the invaders. So there you go. On August 14th, 1814, the independent kingdom of Norway ceased to exist after entering into personal union with the kingdom of Sweden. So why was it forgotten? This one has a lot of layers to it. For one, the kingdom of Norway technically existed both before and after the events of this story. Although it has been the junior partner in a number of personal unions, Norway has been its own independent kingdom since about the year 885. Plus, the Kingdom of Norway still exists today. So yeah, I guess there's a big technicality over this episode, but I think you understand where I'm coming from. This was the first time Norway had been a truly independent kingdom in a very long time. Now there's two more factors to consider. For one, we have the time period. This was inarguably the age of Napoleon in Europe, so the rest of history sometimes falls by the wayside. But that's a very boring and generic answer on this show, so let's talk about the last factor, the people involved. The two main characters in our story today were Christian Frederick, King of Norway, and Jean-Baptiste Bernadot, the Regent of Sweden. The thing is, these men are not remembered for those roles. Christian Frederick, King of Norway, eventually went down in history as Christian VIII, King of Denmark, which he ruled for 11 years from 1839 to 1848. And Bernadot, the regent of Sweden? He eventually became Charles XIV, King of Sweden, which he ruled from 1818 to 1844, at much the same time as his old rival had ruled Denmark. Most people are remembered for the big things, and so too was Norway. In most histories, it simply goes, Norway was with Denmark, and then they signed the Treaty of Kiel with Sweden, and Norway was with Sweden. So there you have it. This episode concludes Season 1 of the History of Forgotten Lands podcast. Before you go, I would encourage you to follow my Instagram page. That's at Forgot10Lands the word forgot, the digits 1 and 0, and the word lands. While the show goes on hiatus before I start season 2, I'll be using Instagram to allow you guys to vote on which way you would like to see the show going in the future. So yeah, go ahead and do that, and thank you for listening to this season of the History of Forgotten Lands podcast.